Hi, everyone! Jeremy here to offer up a short intro before our usual intro. We originally recorded this episode about two months ago, and a lot has changed since then. As longtime listeners know, the storyline involving Anna's coming out had a huge impact on me when I was questioned my sexuality as a teen, and it continues to impact me as I question my gender identity as an adult. During our discussion of this episode's storyline, I noted that I was still unsure of my pronouns. That is no longer the case because I have recently learned that my pronouns are they, them. It has been a long journey for me to come to this realization, and I appreciate all of you for supporting the podcast, Caitlin, and me as I navigate it. While this adventure may not be over, I can confidently say that like Anna at the end of this episode, I am driving off into the sunset. Speaking of which, during our talk on the scene where Anna looks in her rearview mirror before driving off, I question whether Anna says, ready, as a statement, or, ready? with a question mark. Looking back, I definitely think she was saying it as a statement. She was ready to be herself, and so am I. Thank you for listening, and we will now return to our discussion of Season 2, Episode 18, The Lonesome Road. Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and superfans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week, we are discussing The Lonesome Road, the 18th episode of Season 2, which was written by John A. Norris, directed by Michael Lang, and originally aired on the WB on April 26, 2005. And, Caitlin, you said before recording that uh, you got to go to Lucas's house. Were you also in his bedroom, <laughs> like Brooke was? <laughs> And did your friend Bevan walk in and was like, I've always wanted to know what it was like in this room, but I was imagining Lucas on this bed. Was <laughs> Did that happen to you? or? <laughs> yeah, it happened exactly like that. <laughs> okay, cool. That's, a, that's an interesting story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's hilarious. So back in, so I've been to Wilmington twice. And I've seen Lucas's house only one time. And that's a funny story. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. So the first time Jenna and I went to Wilmington, North Carolina, was in 2011. And we thought we had the right address for Lucas's house, and we did not. <laughs> <laughs> we looped around this part of the neighborhood like five times. It was really creepy around this house that we thought was supposed to be Lucas's and we were like wow this house looks really different maybe they renovated it it like looks totally different but we can kind of see that it looks like his house but it, well we found out after the fact that we took pictures of a house that was not Lucas's oh god <laughs> did you post it anywhere and be like wow I saw Lucas's house I think we did actually <laughs> which is even funnier it would have been funny if somebody stumbled upon the picture and was just like, um, why'd you take a picture of my house, you <laughs> So then, flash forward to 2015, when we took another trip to Wilmington. This time, we knew the correct address, and we found the actual house, and it legitimately looked like Lucas's house, thank goodness. Okay, gotcha. But, speaking of Brooke, the door to this house was not red. <laughs> <laughs> the side door to the house was not red. It was, in fact, blue. You no, know, girl behind the red door in 2015. Who knows hmm. what it's like now, but it's sad. <laughs> yeah. 
I almost wonder when, like, when Brooke, like, eventually, because, you know, like, Brooke can't stay there forever. She's only staying there for the summer, obviously. I wonder if Lucas ever, like, paints the door back and was just like, fuck this red door. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, like, wondering, like, now, like, th- does, does he keep the door red forever? I don't feel like we ever actually find that out. I know, huh. right? But... Oh, wow. That's kind of curious. But anyway, I'll post the pictures on social media and you'll get to see the blue door, the side door to Lucas's room. The actual house, right? Yes. Be sure not to post the other one. (laughs) I'm not embarrassing myself again. (laughs) Okay, cool. (laughs) Always and Forever is spoiler free, but stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. Lucas sneaks into Dan's office and finds a bag of cash along with a mysterious ledger hidden in the ceiling. Lucas tells Andy about this, and they sneak into Dan's dealership, but the cash and the ledger are gone. On his way home from visiting Haley, Nathan visits Taylor at a bar she's working at in Athens, Georgia. Nathan lets loose and almost makes out with Taylor, but stops himself, and Taylor ends up giving him some valuable advice about Haley. Bevan convinces Brooke to party with the cheer squad since she hasn't been around a lot lately. And Brooke ends up getting drunk and not showing up for her shift at Karen's cafe. As a result, Karen grounds her, which does not make Brooke very happy. Later on, though, Brooke proves herself to Karen by doing chores around the house and not sneaking out to another party that Bevan asked her to go to. Anna's old girlfriend, Darby, visits her in Tree Hill and tells Anna about her experience coming out to her parents. Hearing about Darby's mostly positive experience encourages Anna to come out to her own parents. Anna stops by Lucas's to tell him that she came out to her parents, and in order to be her true self, she needs to go back to her old school and face her fears. Anna leaves Tree Hill. Jake's custody battles with Nikki continues, and Jake's lawyer tells him that since there's a warrant out for his arrest, he may not be able to get Jenny back for two to three months. Jake stands firm that he's not giving up Jenny to Nikki. Whitey tries to talk some sense into Jake, but Jake shares with him how Nikki neglected Jenny in the past. Peyton finds out that Jake is leaving, but he can't tell her where he's going. Shockingly, Jake turns himself into the police. Peyton visits Jake in jail and tells him she loves him, and he says it back. And Whitey drives off with Jenny in the backseat. Dancing on bars, I'm Caitlin Elenich. Wow, that was literally my exact intro. <laughs> I was like, like Caitlin's not gonna be talking about that. <laughs> I mean the line I specifically wrote down written down was dancing on tables at the sweated donkey. I am Jeremy Rodriguez. <laughs> yes. Yes. Have you ever danced on the on bar tables, Caitlin? I, I have never done that. I can't say. I don't know, have I? I'm trying to think. Probably not on, like, not on top of the bar, but I have gotten, like, up on, like, the stupid stages at queer bars. Nice. And then after that, like, I'll be doing that for one night, and then you won't hear from me for six months because I'm an introvert. (laughs) It's just how I roll. Can can we talk about how long that dance scene was? I never realized how long it was. It's, like, unnecessarily long. (laughs) Isn't it? It's like, what are they trying to, are they trying to say something here? I don't, I don't know. Is there a deeper meaning? I don't think so, but. They clearly had fun with that. Yeah. So today's episode is titled after the song, That Lonesome Road by James Taylor. 
Oh, not the lonesome road, but that lonesome road. Yeah, they changed the one word. <laughs> wow, they're like, they're being fucking edgy here, and I am into it. So, so what did you think of this song? So the lyrics are fairly short, but I feel like they are pretty meaningful. Um, my thought about the song was that basically it's saying that You're responsible for putting yourself on this lonesome road by yourself, and you need to own up to whatever mistakes you made or whatever you did in the past. That's the impression that I got. And the second stanza, it says, if I had stopped to listen once or twice, if I had closed my mouth and opened my eyes, if I had cooled my head and warmed my heart, I'd not be on this road tonight. And that's what really made me think that about the song. Like, clearly there's some regret in the narrator's, like, he has some regret. Mm -hmm. And now the narrator's trying to move on. um, And the next stanza says, carry on, never mind feeling sorry for yourself. It doesn't save you from your troubled mind. And I think that really relates to what Nathan's going through specifically. And I know you have some other examples too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, like, the episode opens up with literally... Nathan on a road driving by himself. (laughs) So it's really quite symbolic uh, and on the nose, as you would say. (laughs) Right. I can't believe that's something I say all the time. Like you had to call it out. (laughs) But yeah, so basically Nathan's dealing with a lot with Haley right now. And like, I I think he's probably feeling some regrets, um, disappointment. He's considering the past and, like, you know, the decision that he and Haley made to get married. Like, I feel like there's a lot of thoughts kind of going through his mind, and he's not really sure if he wants to move on or or what to do. So I think there's a lot of contemplation going on with Nathan, and I think the song reflects that. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, like, everything you said, like, was pretty much exactly how I was feeling. Um other examples I came up with about, like, people reflecting on their uh, their past life and everything like that is there's Jake. He's thinking about everything that has gone on with Nikki. And he's like, you know what? I need to go off and do my own thing. I need to send myself to jail, which I think is a fucking stupid decision that we'll get to later. Um, but regardless, he decides to send, send himself off to jail and uh, essentially try to give what he thinks is a better life for Jenny. Um, we also see Brooke. Brooke is, you know, trying to basically live the life of, like, a reformed party girl. You know, she was really only, like, thinking about herself previously, and now she realizes, like, you know what, no, there's other people who rely on me. In this situation, it's Karen. Like, she decides to stay home, do the chores, instead of going out partying. And then we also see Anna, who, she was uh, traveling this, like, lonesome road by herself by choosing to essentially stay in the closet, and now she's going off and trying to live a new life at her boarding school, and she's embarking on a new adventure, essentially. So, in a way, I feel like all these characters, too, like, it's like, yeah, they, they were on a lonesome road before, reflected on their past mistakes, but now they're embarking on a different type of lonesome road. They're still alone and they're still by themselves, but I feel like the title, like, That Lonesome Road, takes a different context by the end of the episode. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think it relates to so many characters in this episode, like you pointed out. And, 
Like, literally, Nathan is on a literal lonesome road, but all these other characters, it's, you know, a bit more, I guess, metaphorical lonesome road. But I think Anna's storyline in particular is really interesting and how it relates to this because, like, she was carrying such a weight and finally, like, released that and was able to reflect. And, like, Darby was a big part of that in this episode, mm-hmm. kind of pushing Anna off the lonesome road in a way so that she can kind of face everyone at her old school and really be who her authentic self. Mm-hmm. So today's song was really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I liked it. Probably the first one in a while that we actually had a good conversation about. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, but let's get off of these deep conversations and let's head to the sweating donkey with Nathan and Taylor. Yes. <laughs> let's dance on tables together because apparently we're going to dance on tables together now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that image. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners are going to, like, you know, message us and be like, yo, can you please uh, <laughs> dance on tables and then film it? We'll put that in for, we'll put that out for our Patreon subscribers only. <laughs> At the $10 level, too. You have to pay for that content. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But these oh. two, like, I really like them together in this episode. Like, not together together, but, like, paired yeah. together. You know what I mean? Yeah. It started off with, like, a, there was a shit ton of sexual tension between the two of them. You know, the whole thing, uh, oh, there's something in the Swinton Donkey that I like. And, and then uh, Taylor's like, oh, I know, gin and tonic. And Nathan's like, yeah, that too. I'm like, this is sexy, okay. Um, <laughs> but then he ends up realizing, like, you know what, like, no, I was just looking for comfort. I wasn't really looking for anything, uh, anything specific with Taylor or anything. Yeah. It took him a bit to realize that, and I th- I feel like Taylor knew that before Nathan did, that that's what yeah. Nathan was looking for. And I guess Taylor, like, she's Haley's sister, so, like, it, it kind of makes sense that he would be drawn to her a little bit more. He's feeling distance from Haley, so, like, Taylor seems like a natural person to connect to right now. Yeah. Also, I imagine, like, the fact that she was the first woman that Nathan had sex with, you know, I feel like there might be some type of lingering feelings there oh for sure and clearly like the tension like you said (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly and they they almost make out and you Mm -hmm. were right because i think we talked about this in the spoiler segment in one episode or something yeah i remember you saying like oh they kiss i'm like no they don't (laughs) i i thought they i mean they were their lips are almost touching like really (laughs) yeah exactly it was like so so close and honestly the whole thing just made me wonder like when was like when was Taylor going to stop Nathan? Because got pretty damn close. I don't think Taylor would have stopped him. You don't think so? Okay. No. I think she just kind of knew, and like she admitted that she knew that he wasn't going to go along with it. I don't think she would have, personally. Interested. So you think she would have just let the kiss happen? She probably wouldn't have let it go further than the kiss. She probably would have been like, let the kiss happen, and then been like, okay. Yeah, I don't think she, yeah, I think I agree with that. I don't think she would have let it have gone further than a makeout session, but uh, yeah, but yeah, it just didn't seem like she would have, you know, like they mm-hmm. were literally lips were almost touching, and then Nathan backed out, which I'm glad he did because that would have just made things even more messy, yeah. And then she noticed a moment where like he kind of like uh 
slut shames her a little bit because Taylor was talking about how like you know she knows how to like you know comfort uh comfort people and realize that they don't want to be alone what did she say exactly I'm trying to recall I can't remember but you're right it was something about comforting and then Nathan said he's like if that's what you want to call it yeah I didn't like that he ends up apologizing so it's like it, it actually is addressed as a problematic trope which is great but he was insinuating like whatever she meant by comfort was really like sex Right, yeah. And insinuating that she was kind of easy, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do like that he apologized. I'm glad it's, like, called out within mm-hmm. the narrative, which is unlike what is, you know, a lot of these situations in the show that aren't necessarily called out, you know? I know. And then their conversation, which happened, like, the next day when he was leaving, was, like, I think the highlight, really, for me, between both of them. So I'm I'm really confused about what was uh I feel like I understand what Nathan was supposed to take away from all of this. Nathan was just supposed to figure out that like he needs to like go off on his own, go down that lonesome road. Yep. You know, if Haley comes back, he comes back, but he needs to be there for himself. And I feel like that's great advice. But like, why does Taylor think so lowly of herself, thinking that like she can't change? I know, and I'm thinking, like, she's not that old. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's early. She has to be, like, early 20s. So, right? Yeah. We know she's in college, though, because she drops out. So, yeah. And she thinks that, like, she's already labeled, but Nathan isn't. But I would I would disagree with that. Yeah, completely. And also, is it trying to shame her for, like, living? Because... Let's be honest. I feel like there's there's nothing wrong with like her living a life of just being a party girl, and for her to you know live as like a nomad, like you know go from like one place to the next. There's nothing wrong with that. The thing I want to know about Taylor is like, is she comfortable with that life? Is she okay going from place to place? Mm-hmm. Like, does she have like, and it doesn't have to be a physical place, but does she have a place to call home? And does she have, like, you know, people she can turn to? Like, does she have close relationships? Because she shouldn't be alone in that regard. I think there's a sadness there at the end of their conversation on Taylor's end. I think it's more hopeful with Nathan, but with Taylor, it's like, I think there's a judgment. And how they they wrote the scene, I think there's some judgment there. Yeah. Because you see the the part of the ends where Nathan is like, uh, now correction it's taylor who first says don't go dancing on any bars nathan and then nathan's like i won't if you won't and then taylor has this moment where she's like really sad and she's like you know she's like no i will always be dancing at bars so not as tragic and i'm like there's nothing wrong with dancing on bars taylor yeah but i feel like the only thing that's wrong is like are you like are you okay with your life being this way do you have like loved ones that you can turn to yeah do you have a home base basically you know yeah she seems like she just hops around a lot and she's never really in one place mm-hmm. for for a long time right i feel like we're supposed to be sad from hearing that you yeah. know like she doesn't really have close friends and family yeah and that's the sad part. But the sad part is not, like, her dancing on bars and going from one place to the next. Like, if that's not, if that's genuinely how you want to live your life, kids, you know, go for it. Yeah. But she should have, like, people to love and support you in this journey. And, and you know her parents, like, because they're Haley's parents, too. <laughs> they're off in an RV somewhere. So it's like she's not going to go home to Tree Hill to visit unless she yeah. was visiting Haley. And then who knows where all these other siblings are. 
Yeah. Why, I wonder, like, why she doesn't, like, ever... Why doesn't she ever hook up with her parents? Like, try to be like, hey, like, let's travel together for, like, a good for a good chunk of time. You kind of wonder that. Yeah. There's a lot of questions about Taylor and all these siblings, really. I, I have many, many questions. As you rewatch the show, <laughs> like, the more times you rewatch it, I feel like, personally, the more questions I have. Yeah. And we can't help that, like, un- you know, we can't unknow, like, what we know about Taylor, too. It's, this not makes sense complicated, but... Yeah. Yeah. Lots of questions, and I just hope Taylor is doing well. And I hope she's dancing on those bars, like, unapologetically. Like, you know, dance on those bars, you know what I mean? Sleep with, with as many people as you want to, Taylor. That's not the, that's not the wrong part, but do you have people that you can love and turn to? Aww. I am concerned. Oh my gosh, that was adorable. Yes. But, uh, speaking of, like, loving and all that stuff, and doing things for love <laughs> in very misguided ways, can we talk about Jake's whole plan with Bonnie and Clyde, a.k.a. Peyton and Lucas? Whitey called them that, right? Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And There's a lot Caitlin, to say. Why? Why does Jake think that sending himself to jail, you know, rather than give up his daughter to his ex-girlfriend for, like, two to three months is the better decision? It is so so fucking petty, in my opinion. So, my question is, did he have a choice? If he turns himself in, doesn't he go to jail? Like, I don't know the specific laws involved, especially in North Carolina during this era, but... I don't know. When there's a warrant out for your arrest and then you turn yourself in, don't you have to go to jail for some time? Yeah, I would believe so. I I, I don't know how that works. So it's like he was kind of doing the legal thing. Like he was owning up to, I mean, what he did is illegal. You're not supposed to, during like a custody agreement or whatever they had, you're not supposed to up and leave state lines you know and and take your daughter without telling the other person yeah so but is jenny going to be like on the run for like the rest of her life now like and never see her dad how is that a better life for her (laughs) you know i know i i just i don't know and jake was kind of the one who put himself in this situation for leaving you know taking jenny the several times that he did or one time he did i guess I don't know. I can't even keep track of how many times he's, like, left and come back. And <laughs> If there's a warrant, he had to turn himself in. And because of that, he's put in a jail. So, obviously, he can't take care of his daughter. Yeah. I don't know. True. I don't know what the alternative is. I mean, the alternative would have been, like... To be on the run uh, again. Or, or I guess, just give up give up Jenny and then he wouldn't have to go to jail? I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's, that is the alternative. Give up Jenny, give up Jenny for two to three months. Because yeah. that's what the lawyer actually says. So you, you either you either go to jail or give up Jenny for two to three months and then we'll try again. Which, like, I do understand, like, why he's nervous. Because he brought up that situation where Nikki took care of Jenny for one night. Um, they found the car, parked across the street from a bar. Jenny was in the backseat shivering. She was cold. She didn't even have a, even have a blanket on her. And I get that. But part of me just kind of thinks, like, this, as as Jake said, this was only one night. And yeah. Nikki fucked up. And I'm not going to like you to make excuses for her. She really fucked up for that one night. But, like, is that going to be a reflection of, like, her forever and ever? 
And also, yeah. was this reported? Did, did, did Jake, like, you know, report this to the proper authorities, say, like, hey, like, look, this thing happened, uh, this is why uh, she can't really have my daughter. So it just makes me question, like, some of his actions in this regard, you know? I know, and I think things are further complicated because they're just so young. Like, he's a teenager, and I guess they're both still teenagers. Nikki's a bit older. We still don't really know how old she is, but yeah, I think there's just been some poor decision-making on how this was handled. And up until this point, we really didn't know the backstory about Nikki. Like, we knew that Jake didn't want her, didn't want Nikki to have Jenny because Nikki left and supposedly didn't want anything to do with her daughter, but we never knew about this neglect. So this is like an interesting tidbit of information. You almost wonder, like, were there other times like this too? Um, But you bring up a good point. Was this ever reported? Yeah, but Jake said specifically, like, that was only one night. Oh, he did say that. Okay. Yeah, she only had to watch Jenny for one night, and yeah. now the judge is expecting me to give her up for two to three months worth of nights. And I'm like, I get it, you're nervous about, like, that one time. Like, Nikki fucked up. That's terrible. Like, I don't want that to be necessarily, like, a reflection of her forever. And, you know, and I also, like, want to know, like, okay, that one night, like, Nikki just had to go to a bar. I feel like that's kind of tragic. Like, you know, does does Nikki have an alcohol problem? Is this something that, like, we can, like, that Jake should maybe unpack with her and say, like, hey, I think you have a drinking problem. Um, I'm not comfortable with you having my daughter when you're doing this. You know, I don't think he's really communicated much with her. And it just really bothers me. There's just a total lack of communication, period. Mm -hmm. And I've said this before that, like... Why not give Nikki a chance? And I know we we learned this this new information about her neglecting Jenny that one night just now. But like previously, other than her not wanting to be involved, she was then coming back to Tree Hill and she clearly wanted to be involved and would say that over and over again to Jake, that she wants to be in her daughter's life. Why wouldn't you try to give someone the benefit of the doubt? At least another chance. Or supervised visits. Right. And I feel like Jake's just not willing to give Nikki any chance at all to prove herself. Which, that part isn't fair. Exactly. I feel like I was all, you know, during my first watch of this back in the early 2000s, I kept thinking, like, Nikki is evil. But, like, I feel like the only reason why we see her as evil is because the other characters are saying that she's evil. Like, look at Peyton calling her white trash, for example. Mm -hmm. Um... Or, like, in, uh, I think it was the last episode where Peyton says that, uh, that, like, oh, you don't really want Jenny back. You're just trying to get back at Jake. And Peyton is saying that based on what evidence? I feel like a lot of assumptions are being made of her. When I feel like there's Nikki and she's clearly just trying to get her daughter back. I know, and I think there have been moments of sincerity with Nikki, too. Like, she just honestly wanted to... Like, there's different moments with Nikki. Like, there's some where she's mischievous, and then there's others where I feel like she's sincere. Yeah. You know? Like, it's kind of complex. For sure. And what about the other moment that happened in this episode where Nikki tells Jake that Jenny is not his daughter? Oh, yeah. That clearly was a last-ditch effort to try to get Jenny. Like, I didn't believe that either. <laughs> yeah, saying that, like, always used to use protection. And I don't know if this is a spoiler to confirm this or anything like that, but I remember uh, 
like way back in the day there were like leaks and stuff like that um about the show and there was like one like blog post that confirms like uh, regardless of what nikki says in this episode jake is definitely jenny's father yeah so like this whole thing doesn't hold any weight but i remember like first watching this like way back in the early 2000s i remember thinking like oh my god but this thread is never picked up again sorry to say if you're listeners if you're pulping for a big dramatic climax here but yeah. jake is jenny's father <laughs> yeah but yeah she was just really desperate in that moment yeah exactly and then jake is also really desperate because he then secretly gives jenny to whitey and whitey is taking jenny somewhere which we don't know and now whitey's an accessory too <laughs> and i'm thinking okay whitey you are an educator you are an educator <laughs> And you are taking a baby across, I mean, probably across state lines. Doesn't even matter if it's across state lines. You're just kidnapping. You're basically kidnapping a baby. (laughs) Like, regardless of the intention, it is kidnapping. Yeah. And I'm all about, like, I'm all about breaking the law. You know, just, uh, you know, because, like, the law doesn't necessarily equate ethics, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But. This is a sticky situation, and Whitey could get really, really in trouble. But in the world of the show, so taking it out of, like, our actual (laughs) reality, I thought the ending with Whitey taking the baby was, like, every time I see that, I'm like, oh, damn, that's so good. Yeah. Oh, Whitey's saving the day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> in, it is sweet, yeah. In the world of the show, let me make that clear. <laughs> yes. The fictional fucking world, yes. It's very beautiful. <laughs> oh, I love Whitey. So that's what we think in our fictional world. In our <laughs> real life world, we just want to tell the writers, uh, why do you hate women and stop uh, treating them like this? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but let's talk about another crime. I'm really loving my transitions in this episode. <laughs> so uh, Lucas is trying to be Sherlock Holmes versus Dan Scott's Professor Moriarty. They were really playing that up in this episode, the whole Sherlock yeah. Holmes thing. Have you ever read like any of the Sherlock Holmes books like in your travels at all? You know, I, I think I read some short stories, but I can't recall the titles of them <laughs> okay yeah i did I, I did some research actually dan is actually correct when he said that arthur conan doyle th- just didn't want to write about sherlock holmes anymore so he decided to kill him off that actually is true and then apparently decided later on to pick back up the character <laughs> yeah brought him back to not brought him back to life but like apparently fans were like raging they were like no no how dare you do this and then he was just like, okay, fine, we'll do it. And then I-, I was reading, like, some, like, fan reactions. Apparently, like, people just didn't like those works when he came back. Just because I feel it, it just sort of felt like Arthur Conan Doyle was forced to write those stories. He didn't want to write them anymore. But regardless, he does take Professor Moriarty down with him. I think? Yes. Okay, so the one short story that I remember reading in college was... The Adventure of the Speckled Band, but I don't really remember much about it. <laughs> and that's just a little side tangent. <laughs> okay. I was about to say, is there any, like, uh, parallels to uh, no. to this episode? Like, does Sherlock Holmes, like, find a ledger with, like, 
with like millions and millions of dollars. I don't know if there's millions and millions of dollars up in that ceiling, but we'll just say that. Uh, with a lot of dollars up in a ceiling, and, you know, with a ledger, did Sherlock Holmes find that and Professor Moriarty's ceiling? No. no I've never read no. the final solution, or sorry, the final problem, which which was the short story that they were referencing in, in that yeah. one scene um, where Sherlock Holmes dies. But that, to me, they were really... Playing the, the literary references on this. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm not mad about it, yeah. though. It works for me. Like, did you think it worked? Yeah, I, I think it worked to an extent. I think Dan did a good job with, I don't know, it really kind of played up his character as, as the villain. And, like, they both had different, like, perspectives about, like, the story. Because Dan... What he says about it, he's like, he interprets Sherlock Holmes dying because there wasn't enough, like, because there was enough, like, deception and lies, basically, and enough was enough. And Lucas was interpreting it as Sherlock's is pulling the professor down the cliff with him in order to, like, sacrifice himself and for the greater good. Mm -hmm. And obviously that parallels... Because, like, with what's going on in the actual episode, because um, Dan is definitely picking up on Lucas spying on him, which is apparent in the, the tension in this episode. Right, and for sure. I think they make their motives clear here because Lucas is like, well, I'm trying to do good because you, Dan, are clearly not doing good. Like, there's you're up to something. And... Dan is, like, defending himself because I guess he doesn't like being lied to. And he, he knows that Lucas is onto him and is not really being truthful, I guess, with why he's staying with Dan. I, and he, he knows Lucas is up to something, too. Yeah. Like, he knows there's, like, some deception that Lucas is pulling off, similar yep. to what Sherlock Holmes was doing with professor moriarty exactly and I, i'm assuming like what dan is saying is like have some truth to it i've never read any sherlock holmes stories yeah nor am i familiar with the movies but yeah there are multiple interpretations to this whole thing and i think it worked because like they spoke around their suspicions of each other mm -hmm. and in kind of a clever way and they didn't like accuse each other of doing anything because they were just talking about the story but there's right. a lot of underlying there's a lot that's underlying that conversation. <laughs> yeah. It seems like Dan is aware of Lucas's deception. Because he was he's putting these putting out these very points and references. And like, you know, he turned on the security camera, he's like, I'll be seeing ya. I know, we hear that line. <laughs> <laughs> Which is that's actually the uh that's actually the influence behind our outro when we say we'll it's this episode right yep. here, folks. This specific episode. Okay, it's not it's not Peyton and Lucas at the beginning of the pilot. It's this episode. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he said it like it's really the same scary. way too. But apart from that, I did like seeing that uh, Andy and Lucas were working together. And I like that Andy was, like, really concerned about Lucas, because when they go back to the dealership, the ledger and the money is gone. And Andy is like, oh, no, like, he's trying to fuck with you, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to come back home. And, you know, Lucas says it backing down. He's still going to continue his war against Dan. And Andy said, like, 
if Karen asks him about it, that he's going to tell her the truth, which I feel like Karen should know what's going on here. Yeah, absolutely. And there's actually a deleted scene where this, where Lucas and Andy are talking to each other. And, uh, like, Karen, like, almost interrupts. She pours him a cup of coffee because they're handing out of Karen's cafe. And uh, Karen's like, oh, what's going on? And then Andy's like, oh, nothing, just guy stuff. So it just so there's like a little extra layer there to show like hey like they are lying to Karen right now and then he ends up coming around when he says like I'm not going to lie to Karen if she mm-hmm. asks. Yeah, I noticed that too because yeah, in the regular episode he says he's not going to lie to Karen. So it's mm-hmm. like they changed the narrative a little bit. Instead of like basically lying to her, they just haven't told her yet, which Yeah. Know, I feel like they should, but <laughs> Yeah, I like both versions of it, both with and without the deleted scene. I feel like they both work. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, without the deleted scene, you could just think, like, a lot of the stuff is implied that they are doing this, like, quote-unquote, behind her back. Yeah. But we do see Lucas take stuff out of a paper shredder, and we're, like, wondering, like, "Hmm, what's in here? I know, and he was replacing it with other shredded papers. Yeah, which I'm like, have you ever tried putting shredded paper back together? It does not necessarily work that in such a pretty way. (laughs) (laughs) Only in the movies or TV (laughs) would it work. Exactly. All right, are we done talking about uh, bad parents and are we ready to move on to good parents (laughs) and? Yes. With Brooke having a real mom. I mean, it had to happen where Brooke learned like the lesson the hard way <laughs> because <laughs> she was so happy to 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 live there with Karen and temporarily and have like a mom figure you remember that scene like when she first comes and Karen's like there's going to be rules and i feel like Brooke appreciated that in the moment but then when it came to reality <laughs> and she did something wrong and she's grounded like in this episode She's, like, learning the hard way that, like, okay, this is what it's like to have a mom. There really are rules. There are boundaries. If you break them, there are consequences. And she's never experienced that before. And it doesn't matter that she's been drifting. (laughs) Or as Karen says, have you been drinking? Brooke's like, no, drifting. (laughs) (laughs) I just find that scene so funny. (laughs) Although... I, I do like this journey for Brooke in this episode, but I hate some of the other, some, some of the stuff that happens, how they, like, kind of dumb her down. I'm like, come on, Brooke doesn't know about what a mop is. <laughs> or, uh... <laughs> or, or, like, so oblivious, like, she looks at a list of chores, and she's like, so what do I do? Do I just pick one I want to do? And I'm like, okay, like, this is... It, it's kind of endearing, because it's like, okay, Brooke, like, never knew, like, what it's like to have, like, these responsibilities, mm-hmm. or to have, like, a real parental figure, and then she ends up realizing the ends, like, oh, like, this is what... This is what life is, because she decides not to go to the party. She decides to stay home and do her dishes. Yep. But it's just, I don't like how she's so naive to a lot of this. I'm like, have you ever seen TV and movies, Brooke, where, like, people, where kids get grounded? Like, you know what grounded means, <laughs> you know? I know, right? She really would have to live under a rock. Um, I never, I didn't pick up on that she was being kind of, like, dumbed down. But you're right, with the whole mop thing. I I guess it's supposed to just show, like, her privilege, but, yeah, it does take it a step too far. Yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to think of, like, an example of, like, that could have been done better or something like that. 
Like maybe she would have, maybe she would have seen the list of chores, and she'd be like, "Oh, like I'll, do, you know, I'll do it later." And like maybe she would have just like procrastinated on it or something like that, not realizing there was like a deadline for the chores. True. Like I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I don't really know. I I liked the storyline though overall. Yeah, for because sure. I think it was a good lesson for Brooke. And I like Sophia Bush and Moira Kelly together. Like they I don't know. They have like good chemistry. Oh, they're so adorable, yeah. And oh my god, the scene at the ends where where, where Brooke is doing the dishes and Karen's like, Brooke, you're home. Like she's surprised. And then Brooke's like, Yeah, I'm grounded, remember? And then Karen's like, Not anymore. I think you've learned your lesson. And I feel like the old Brooke would have, like, ran off and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go to that party now. Fuck the dishes. But she just smiles at Karen and she's like, you know what? No, I'm going to keep doing these dishes. There's, like, a moment where she, like, hesitates. Mm-hmm. Not hesitates, but, you know, she, she like, looks away. And it's, it, it was just so fucking endearing. It kind of humbles Brooke, you know, mm-hmm. this whole storyline, which is For good. sure. All right. Are we ready for the big stuff? (laughs) (laughs) We get to meet Anna's girlfriends, and we get to see her come out to her parents, and I'm going to try not to cry while talking about this. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But first off, uh, Darby is uh, played by uh, Sprague Graydon, and I hope I'm pronouncing uh, her name correctly, who uh, many horror fans may know as the actress who plays Christy in the Paranormal Activity series. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I've seen some Paranormal Activity movies, but long ago. She's uh, in Paranormal Activity 2. She's the she's the mother of the baby, and she ends up... Uh, no, Yeah, she's... Uh, is she the mother of the... Now I'm trying to think. She gets possessed by a demon. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> or does she get killed? Now I'm getting them confused. And you know what? I don't think she gets possessed by the demon. I think she just gets killed. Yeah, I don't know that actress at all. I mean, I saw those movies long ago. I probably never made the connection between One Tree Hill and that. Now you know. Um, now you can go and be like, oh, this is what happened when, you know, after Darby visited Tree Hill. Darby ended up uh, living a very uh, heterosexual life. And, well, we don't know Darby's sexuality. She she could be bisexual. We don't know. <laughs> she has a married a man, and then her house gets haunted by demons. Or, oh, that's... in the paranormal activity world? Yeah, that's what happened. Darby left Tree Hill, and then she ended up moving on. You're too much. Paranormal Activity is a sequel to One Tree Hill, Kayla. (laughs) I liked how Darby was, how she was used in this episode to be like a mentor to Anna. Yeah. And I think this really does bring Anna's storyline full circle, because there was always talk of these rumors at her past school and like it was very vague we never really we we eventually knew what the rumors were yeah we knew she had a girlfriend this is our first time yeah we we didn't know anything about the girlfriend and we didn't know who she was what her name was or anything i don't i don't believe we knew her name so when she showed up in in tree hill it really helped to close up the storyline because darby gave anna some confidence she was able to give her some advice about her own experience. And I feel like everyone who's going through this should have someone that they can kind of confide in and, you know, hear about someone else's experience. Because I'm sure that's really helpful in order to come out on your own and be who you are. So I really loved how Darby's character was used 
because we only get Darby in this span of this episode, but like she came in for a reason. And, and I also like how Darby said that like she didn't regret anything with Anna at all. And I yeah. think that also helped Anna like not re- have any regrets because I think mm-hmm. Anna definitely did have regrets because <laughs> she, she right. wasn't, she didn't accept herself yet. Yeah. Cause Anna wasn't be authentic. So like who she is and here's Darby who is living the life, like, in an authentic way. And one of the things I really liked is that, like, Darby never really, like, beat around the bush to, like, talk about some of the difficulties that happened. Like, she, you know, she was telling Anna that, like, there's some people who don't want to be seen with her, and that part sucks, but she did find out who her real friends were, and that's just, I feel like that's, like, a nice, hopeful Mm -hmm. message to hear. And she was honest, saying, like, hey, there were many, many dark days. Like, things were rough after she came out. But, like you said, after she came out, there was, everything was better because she was being true to who she is. It was beautiful. And I think she said her parents, you know, they cried and were maybe, I don't know how she described it. I think she said her parents cried, but, like... Anna said that her parents cried. Um, Darby just said that her parents didn't take it as well as she would hope. Okay. Uh, because she was talking about, like, when she was reading a... She read a book on coming out, and she said for some parents, uh, finding out their kid is gay is like losing a loved one. Uh, no weddings, grandchildren. Granted, this was back in 2004, before same-sex marriage was legal across the lands. Um, there's also adoption. Yeah. I feel like the whole kid aspect can still be applied today for parents, because it's like, if uh, if your kid is gay, it's like, you're not really, they're not necessarily going to be able to pass on their, mm-hmm. pass on their ancestry, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, yeah. pass on their generation, pass on the name, pass on the exactly. family name, you're and right. stuff like that. Yeah, like, I feel like that can still apply uh, for some parents, Um, and I feel like, you know, I was was Googling, like, some resources and whatnot for, like, parents and everything, uh, you know, finding out that their kids are gay and whatnot, and one of the most helpful things that parents need to know is, like, don't make your child's coming out about you and what you're going to miss out on. Mm -hmm. Your kid is their own, like, individual, and I feel like when kids do come out to their parents they often start to think about themselves a lot and i think now i mean times are a bit different but you can be straight and not have kids so then your, your yeah parents, i was gonna get into that your parents too. Have <laughs> grandchildren like people are more empowered to do what they want to do and not be dictated by society mm-hmm. um nowadays versus then so yeah. i think that argument to me just that is making it about you. And that argument to me is is pretty weak. I mean, there mm-hmm. is always adoption. There is always like, um, you know, one of the parents, it could be their DNA. You know what I mean? Like, right. and that would still be <laughs> passing it on. So like, there's different ways to solve that problem, if you want to call it a problem. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. And like, you know, and, and it just makes you wonder, like, you know, like straight, you know, parents who like, like have straight kids and the straight kids are like, oh, I don't want to have children like ever. And I don't know, I feel like, hmm, that was actually wonder, because I feel like if you have a straight kid who decides to, like, live that life, you, I, I feel like there's at least, like, the hope that your kid could change their minds, or, like, have, like, an accident or something like that that could happen. Oh, gosh. Yeah, whereas, like, <laughs> whereas, like, for the gay kid, it's like, oh, this, okay, this is never going to happen. Which, granted, Anna's 
it, it, the details are fuzzy on her sexual orientation at this point. Uh, but Anna is bisexual, so yeah, it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so complicated. It is. But I really do like uh, a lot of these scenes. I love when Lucas met Darby. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lucas was like, oh my god, I heard so much about you. Yeah. <laughs> just, I just thought that was just so fucking endearing to say because how he's, like, Lucas is just so, so supportive. Like he didn't make it weird at all. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He was, like, excited to meet her because it's like, yo, like, this is, you know, Anna's a good friend of mine. And, like, you know, you've had a big part in her life. Like, I'm excited to meet you, you know? <laughs> I love that. And I feel like, you know, subtle pieces of representation like that are really amazing. Like, when you actually get to see, like, you know, good... I don't want to go so far as to call Lucas an LGBTQ ally, but I would say that. You know? He is he is an ally in that regard, how excited he is and how supportive he is. And I love the scene where she comes out to her parents, starts practicing in a mirror, and then and then you see the cutaway, and then it turns around and she's like, Oh, she's not in front of the mirror anymore. She's actually talking to her parents and the mirror is behind her. I love how they directed that. It was great. I would have loved to have actually seen Anna's parents like as fully realized characters, but you know, they had to write Anna off in this episode. I feel like they couldn't, like, really delve too much into it. But it's a really sad missed opportunity, I think. Yeah, I guess you could look at it like that. Because um, then it would be a really fleshed out scene. But I think you can look at it as the scene was about Anna. Having other people in it and responding kind of would take that away from her. And the whole point was for her to, like, share her voice finally. Yeah, and and that is the truth. But I just, I definitely feel like this, uh, this whole journey that she's on is much bigger than like a special episode. And I feel like some of those, I love this episode. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like it definitely feels like very like this is a very special episode of One Tree Hill because we just see her come out and like that's it, and this is her last episode of the series as well. That's it. We don't get to see like any of the emotional impact or anything like that i definitely feel like i was cut short um as me myself when i was coming out in this regard i would love to see anna come back find out what life was like in her new school and everything i definitely think it was a missed opportunity this storyline could have been fleshed out a lot more like definitely the rest of the season who knows could have even gone into next season if anna had stayed in tree hill I don't know. There there are many opportunities. I think they many different directions they could have probably could have taken the storyline. And it's unfortunate because I feel like the story was just beginning and that's where it ended, you know? Yeah. We didn't get to see like what you said the emotional aspect of it afterwards. You know, we didn't get to see Hannah as a bisexual character dating someone, you know? Like mm-hmm. there were so many different things that they probably could have continued to, to do with this. And it's cut off. It's tragic, really. It really is. But regardless of all those missed opportunities, this episode was still, like, a very impactful moment for me because, like, that coming out scene that where Anna comes out to her parents, like, I watched that scene over and over and over again when I was younger, just as, like, a little piece of inspiration for me. And... When I eventually came out to my mom, I even ended up using pieces of that, 
like, you know, just the whole thing, like, I love you very much, but there's something I have to tell you about myself. Like, I even said, like, those exact words, pretty much. So, just seeing somebody, like, be, like, really strong and, you know, owning their space was really impactful for me, and I can't even, like, begin to explain that. Like, that's one thing that I really want to say to Danielle Alonso if I ever got the chance to meet her, like... That whole speech just really saved my life. I'm, like, trying not to cry. Oh, my God. Let it out. But I just, I really have a lot to, like, thank this specific episode for. I didn't know that you had taken bits of the speech. I know this episode was impactful, but I had no idea that you took, like, her words and, Mm -hmm. and made them your own. I mean, oh, gosh, if you had the chance to tell her... I just, the these stories are so important. I mean, this is like one of the first of its time and now we we get more of this in, in media and like yeah. the actors who who play these characters and have these storylines, like it's just so important for kids to see that, you know? Think about it, like you're, you're 31 and like you're far removed from when you came out for the first time and it's still like as emotional as it was then. And yeah. Because I, I feel like I always just, like, you know, go back to thinking about, like, that time in my life. And that's why I was, like, it, I feel like it was, like, a struggle to, like, really watch through this season again. Because I was just, like, worried about, like, all those, like, little triggering memories. Um, it turned out to be okay. But, you know, if anything, I feel like I look back on the storyline and realize, like, you know what? Like, it's it's really fucking inspiring. And, and I just love it for that reason, you know? Yeah. It's definitely empowering because you think like what role models did you have? You mean there wasn't much to look up to. There are so many more resources now than when you were coming out. When Anna yeah. was coming out. Like mm-hmm. I can't imagine how scary that was. I I really can't imagine how scary it was. It was. I really envy kids today, like, with all the media representation they get from just, like, any TV show. Like, I feel like you and I have said this before. I don't think I, I don't think there's a single TV show I watch where there isn't at least one LGBTQ character. Yeah. Because it's so, like, it has gotten so much better over the years. So, I love it. That doesn't mean coming out is necessarily easier now or anything like that, because it's, I feel like it's hard for everyone. But I really like that there's representation for everybody. Whereas, like, you know, me, I feel like I had to, like, really, like, go out of my way to seek it out. Yeah. You had to find and it. And, like, when you found <laughs> this, like you said, you were rewatching it over and over again because trying to figure out how to do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, like, we see Anna in, in the series come out to various people, like, friends. Like, obviously, we Peyton, she comes out to. Lucas, she comes out to. Then her parents, she comes out to Felix. Like, what was it like for you, if whatever you want to share, obviously, for those different sets of people? Um, I feel like it, uh, the experience kind of, like, matched up with, with Darby. It's like, you know, there's some people who just, like, didn't want to be seen with you. Um, but I feel like the people who were like that, they were never really my friends to begin with. It was more so, like, casual acquaintances, like, people you would have, like, one class with or something like that. But the people who, like, truly, truly mattered, the people who actually, like, you know, were, like, a driving force of my life, like, yourself included, Caitlin. Like, you were very supportive. Um, 
like when I first came out to you, you said like, oh, wow, like you, you needed like a minute to like process it, like figure out like, like, okay, this is something different about my friends. Um, something I didn't know. And now I know. And then you're very fucking supportive now. And that just showed like, you know, you are one of like the real friends that Darby called out, you know? <laughs> I'm glad I could be that person. I'm glad I was yeah. that person. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, meanwhile, like, I feel like uh, my situation, like, coming out to my parents was a little bit messy, to say the least. Because, um, just like Darby said, like, her parents are still trying to, like, figure out, like, how this impacts their lives and everything like that. Um, I feel like it really took an idea, like, a long time for my mom specifically to really think about that. When I first came out to her, I initially came out as bisexual, um, she just immediately said, like, oh, you don't know that. Because at the time, I've never kissed a man or kissed a woman or anything like that. So, and it was, like, a hard concept for her to grasp, but, like, it doesn't have anything to do with, like, physical stuff or anything like that. I've still never, dated, like, been with a woman or anything like that. I still know I'm very much gay. <laughs> you know, that doesn't yeah, change yeah. anything. So it just really took her a really long time to, like, try to figure it out. Um, there were, like, some things. Like, I was watching Will and Grace a lot at the time, and she thought that, like, I just wanted to be, like, Will and Grace. It was it, it was pretty ugly, very, very messy for, like, a long, long time. But, like, she has come such a long, long way since then. Meanwhile, I didn't come out to my, to my dad till a few years later. And I feel like I did that as, like, a result because he was always saying, like homophobic slurs and everything like talking about like famous people like you know just talking about like you know people that were men that were a little bit feminine like he would use like homophobic slurs like on the regular about them and i decided to come out to him and he cried um but then he eventually told me that he loved me and that was it and uh full disclosure like my dad and i aren't the closest in the world and, you know, and we don't really talk about my sexuality or anything like that. In comparison to my mom, my mom, she and I have, like, conversations about sexuality and gender, like, all the time. It's, like, a regular thing. That just shows, like, how far my mom has come. And I don't have those conversations with my dad, but I will say this, like, ever since I did come out to him all those years ago, he has never once used a homophobic slur ever again. So, there's different layers, I feel like, to both of my parents right there. Yeah, I was curious about that because I don't know if I ever heard the full story about your dad yeah because i know that was a long time after your mom and you told other people yeah. um i feel like that's when we were both like off at college and we didn't like really like we talked but we didn't like talk very much i didn't really get to fill you in on that full story yeah, yeah i <laughs> know, know it was quite quite a while and you like you weren't ready to tell him mm -hmm. um for a while so i feel like it's realistic you know that they might have had a hard time with it, but then they came around. I feel like that's a lot of people's stories. Mm -hmm. And I hope, like, parents today are just more understanding to be to begin with. Yeah. And I know that's not always the case, but I'm glad that your your stories have, have happy endings. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think parents are going to be, like, much better today, though. Like, uh, Sam, who was a uh, friend of the pod, Sam Saf, who was on the, an episode in season one, like, uh, am I allowed, to, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that, I'm allowed to say that she announced on social media, she's pregnant. Oh! <laughs> uh, good for her. Oh, wow. 
But, like, one of the things about her, that like, she doesn't even want to have, like, a gender reveal or anything for her kid. Because she's all about gender being a social construct and everything like that. Same thing with, like, her sexuality. Like, she and her, uh, she and her partner have, like, talked about this. Like, they, they don't, they don't fucking care. <laughs> you know, they want to be as supportive for their child. Wow. And it's really fucking great. But she's a progressive person to begin with, and I would like to think there's more people out there like her. I don't agree with gender reveal parties. I can't believe we're in an era where gender is such a conversation and we're having simultaneously gender reveal parties. That makes (laughs) zero sense to me, but that's a mini rant. (laughs) It's it's literally just celebrating like what your baby's genitals look like. That doesn't establish anything. And it's like really fucking creepy if you think about it. I think it's totally (laughs) stupid if I'm being honest. It's it's like you just like it's like oh like is it is it a boy or a girl? It's like why do you fucking care like what my what my child's genitals are? Like uh, just just stop, okay? Um. Just find out in the doctor's office and keep it to yourself. Like honestly, like I don't get it exactly. But oh my goodness, though. Um, I guess we can like go around so like my whole gender journey. That's like a really <laughs> interesting transition to that. Um. I was worried about, like, watching this because of, like, well, not worried, I, you know, I was, I guess I could say I was worried about, like, the triggering feelings, um, because I'm also going out through, going through this own coming out process myself with, like, being non-binary and everything like that, and I feel like my journey right now is more in line with Anna in early season two, where she's trying to figure out, like, oh, am I, am I gay, am I straight, am I bisexual, like, what's the deal? You know, but I feel like nowadays my whole thing with my gender journey is I'm trying to figure out, like, what everything means to me. Because I feel like I have so many fucking supportive people in my life. Like, I have a lot of friends who are, like, even using they, them pronouns for me just naturally. Like, it's no big deal. And, like, everybody is so, so great. So, like, I'm not worried so much about coming out to people now. Because I have such a great support system with everybody. But I'm still trying to figure out, like, what does this mean to me like for example like i I don't know some part of me is like self-conscious like you know ask people to refer to me with they them pronouns exclusively because i'm like oh i know how i look um i don't want to like inconvenience anybody or anything like that which is that's totally a me thing (laughs) you know yeah i mean it's okay to have all those feelings yeah, it's it's totally a me problem, though. Like, I know, like, if I told, like, anybody, like, if I told you right now, Caitlin, I'm like, I want to go by they, them pronouns, like, exclusively, don't use he, him, you'd be like, okay. <laughs> and, but still, like, I'm still thinking, like, to myself, like, when I interact with other people, it's just, it's just so weird. So I'm still trying to figure out, like, what all that means to me. So I'm early season two Anna right now. <laughs> I love the comparison. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> My sexuality, I am, like, way beyond season two, Anna. I am, like, you know, I am living my life happily and authentically. I hope that's what Anna is doing right now. We never find out. What character would you be in any TV show? (laughs) Wait, what? What what character would you be in any TV show, then? Because there's no other um, LGBTQ characters in One Tree Hill. You said you're well beyond season two, Anna. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. No, you know who I am? David Rose from Shits Creek. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I like the wide and not the label. I adore that character. Yes. It's so fucking good. I love Shits Creek. <laughs> the show as a whole is like, okay to me, but I just love that character. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm serious. 
that's an amazing show for like LGBTQ representation for one thing like everybody should Mm -hmm. check that out like how like LGBTQ identities are so normalized in that show it's such a safe haven and it is I really love it oh my gosh oh so good I need to rewatch that but anyway right now we're in the middle of rewatching One Tree Hill so uh (laughs) that we are Shall we talk about this, Coda? Who's to say that this is not our love? By Vanessa Carlton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gotta give credit. Um, I told you about this episode in the, or I told you about this song in the last episode. You were like, what? What are you, what are you doing? And I'm like, Caitlin, how dare you? Yeah, I didn't, I couldn't hear it. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but when this can we really talk about this coda because it's mm, i love this song it, it is it oh, is my yeah. favorite musical moment <laughs> spoiler alert same 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 cool <laughs> i literally have like okay so i always start writing like my list i'm like well musical moment rated a musical moment i literally just have duh because <laughs> i didn't need to like write anything oh my gosh yeah really duh because oh my god <laughs> It's just so, oh, there's one part of it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> uh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, I can start us off. So, Lucas walks out of Dan's office as the employee turns on the security camera. And that's when you hear that. Stand up, boy. You know all the lyrics. I don't know the lyrics. But, like, I forgot how good this song was. With the moment. It's different than what we normally get on One Tree Hill. And like, I totally forgot how good it was. Totally mm-hmm. forgot. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And I feel like the lyrics too are just so great too. Like, you know, the, the whole who's to say, like, they say we're too young, but maybe you're too old to remember. It's, a, it's just like really like uh, emphasizing the fact like, hey, like, we're fucking young, but we still know about life. We still like, we're smarter than you think. Good point. You yeah, know? you're right. Kids aren't stupid, you know? I love that. But then in the very next scene, we see Anna looks into her car's rearview mirror. She says, ready? And then she drives off. Which, can we talk a little bit about this, actually? So, I feel, and you know, there's a difference, too, in the, if you watch this with subtitles. If you watch this on subtitles on Hulu, it says, ready, period. If you watch this on subtitles on the DVD, it says, ready, question mark. You would notice that. <laughs> Like, <laughs> well, also, too, because, like, I, during this rewatch, I first watched it on Hulu, but I remember, like, when I first watched it, I remember thinking, like, oh, Anna is questioning, like, if she's ready, you know, because that was younger me, projected myself, I guess, onto Anna, mm-hmm. and seeing her in, uh, in this current rewatch, and seeing it on Hulu with ready, period, and they said, oh, like, she's making a statement that she's ready, and now I'm just, like, wondering, like, what was the intention was she questioned herself if she was ready or she said i am ready i'm gonna drive off was there inflection in her voice like how did she say it i don't even remember i feel like it could be ready anyway honestly if you if you listen to her say it she just says ready and i guess it's just like up to the viewer to interpret or project themselves onto the character so yeah you laugh but i was thinking deep about this (laughs) you would find the smallest detail Yeah. What do you think? Did you think she was asking herself if she was ready, or did you think she was... I can't really remember how she said it now. Well, I just said it. Ready. I think a statement. But typically when you say ready, you're asking a question. Yeah. But it could be... uh, I'm going to say a statement. It's firm. You know? Ready. Let's go. 
Like, <laughs> I, I just think it's so interesting. Like, listeners, like, please, please tell me, like, how did you interpret her reading of that line? Because I, I, I'd really like to know. Because I feel like that was just a reflection of, like, you know, my journey. So back then, I always read it as a question. And now today, I'm reading it as a statement. And it just shows, like, how much, like, I, I don't want to talk myself up and say, it shows how much I have grown. But really, it has shown how much I have grown, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, when you put it that way. Like, you're questioning versus, like, you're certain. Yeah, I just want to know, everybody, please, please fucking tell me. Send us an email, alwaysothpod at gmail.com. Ready or ready? I don't even know how to say it as a question. Ready? Ready. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! All right. I don't mean to go off a tangent, like, for individual coda bullet points, so let's go. (laughs) I want to go on one more tangent, though, because we didn't talk about it in relation to Anna. Okay, go. She doesn't say goodbye to Peyton. I... Yeah, that's true. And she says to Lucas, I know she's going through a lot right now. Tell her I will call her. Yeah. But it sucks that in this episode, this episode was fantastic. But it it sucks that at the same time that Peyton's going through the Jake stuff, Anna's leaving, you know? Right. There was no room for, like, them to to have this story breathe or anything. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked if there was a scene with both of them because it just would have felt... It wouldn't have made a lot of sense. Yeah. Unfortunately. It, it just had to do with the fact, like, hey, we have to write Anna off of the show very quickly. And unfortunately, they just had to rush her off. And they didn't get, they didn't get time to have a scene between her and Peyton or anything like that. It's, it's sad. I wonder why, like, this storyline, like, she could have, I don't know, it could have been in two episodes, I feel like, or something. Like, it could have been longer. So that she could have have said goodbye to Peyton. And it just seemed like she came out to her parents and then she immediately made the decision she's going back to her old school. It just seemed like way too fast for someone who was very unsure, you know, what to do and unsure of herself. And then suddenly she just, I mean, I guess that happens in life sometimes, but it almost seemed too fast. Honestly, I feel like back then a lot of viewers were very homophobic too. And I feel like the writers were like forced to get rid of her. Like, something I didn't get to touch on either. Um, I, I just decided to, like, look up a look up a Reddit post for, like, LGBTQ characters in One Sherry Hill. There was one poster who was, like, asking, oh, why was Anna, like, one of the only LGBTQ characters? The show didn't really have LGBTQ characters. And then you, you gotta, like, I'm telling you, there were so many homophobic comments just saying, like, oh, because back then they didn't have to force LGBTQ representation. <laughs> like, just, just stop. Oh, gosh. People. <laughs> LGBTQ representation is enforced, like, now. Like, there's just characters who happen to be LGBTQ. And you know how many fucking straight couples I had to see on TV, like, that were forced together my entire life? Like, so seriously, if you think LGBTQ representation is forced, that is your problem, and you need to analyze your own homophobia. Say it. Louder for the people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, I had to say that one part because it made me sad that Anna yes. and Peyton didn't get one more scene because I don't even remember what their last scene was together. I think it was that whole thread where uh, where Anna tells Peyton that uh, Felix was the one who tagged her locker. Yeah, probably. Lame. No closure. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, the code is supposed to be rapid fire. It is, but <laughs> towards the end, I'm going to have more to say again. So, But I'll, I'll say this one fast. Jake gets arrested. <laughs> And then the police and Nikki visit Peyton's home only to find an empty car seat with a basketball inside covered by blankets. 
Jake gets taken to his cell. Back to Karen's house. Uh, Brooke is washing the dishes at home. Because she learned her lesson, Brooke is no longer grounded. But she keeps washing the dishes anyway! (laughs) (laughs) Lucas takes paper out of Dan's paper shredder. Somehow he'll put them together. I don't know how, Caitlin. (laughs) (laughs) And then Nathan comes home, starts playing a message from Haley on his answer machine, only to delete it and put his wedding ring on top of the phone speaker. I can't believe he deleted that without listening. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I would never do that. You know, during that part, so you can tell I've watched this code like millions <laughs> of times. Um, because like after he deletes the message, it's uh, the lyrics come in, You and I packing up my room. And it just shows like, this is him leaving, uh-huh. you know? Like, leaving the relationship behind in in his own way right now. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this next one. (laughs) Yeah. Peyton visits Jake in jail, and they both say, I love you. Oh my god, this scene. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I've been on record. I am a Leighton fan. However, this was like... (laughs) This is amazing. <laughs> Hillary Burton's performance? Can we talk about that? I like rewound it twice. Please talk it, say it. Holy crap. That is like a standout performance. Like between Anna and this scene, those are like standout performances in this episode. Mm-hmm. Convince me otherwise. Like, <laughs> oh my God, Hillary was so, so good. And then, oh my gosh. So she asks where Jenny is. He can't tell her. And then she's like, I love you. And then he says it back and they put their hands on the glass. I am always a sucker for that trope <laughs> where like people are in jail, like lovers are in jail and they stick their hands up against the glass. It's so cliche, but like I will always uh-huh. love it. <laughs> and I feel like maybe this is the show that made me fall in love with it. And, like, just, we don't have to go into the musical moment really in, in a little bit because I'm going to go over it right now. I. Like, with the song playing and their hands there, and she just said I love you in such a tragic way because, let's face it, I mean, he's in jail right now, and they're saying I love you, but, like, her face, like, her expression, the way she says it, it's just like, wow, she brought that scene. Yeah. It was so good. And, you know, and it's just going across, like, these two people are so young, but they still know love and they still know heartbreak. Who is to say that this is not their love, you know? (laughs) See what you did there. <laughs> you know, like, oh my God. It's perfect. This song is so emotional to me. I, I was like, <laughs> I had all the feels. And I have to say, this episode, I was fully like in it. Like the entire episode wasn't even like paying attention to the time or anything. I was taking my notes as I was watching and then this coda happens, and I'm like, oh my god, this is making me feel so many feelings, I can't handle it. I, I really, like, it was, I haven't had that feeling in a while with an episode. Oh, it's just so good. <laughs> but anyway, the last scene of the coda, we see Whitey driving off with Jenny. Oh my god. I love it. I mean, it's not legal, but I love it. <laughs> in, in our fantasy world. In our fantasy One Tree Hill world. In our fantasy world, it is great. Yes, it is perfect. Oh, <laughs> All right. Top faves. We already talked about our musical moment because we couldn't shut up during the fucking coda. (laughs) I know. Um, My favorite quote, I kind of wish I said this earlier, but like we got kind of removed from the whole Anna coming out thing, but I have her entire coming out speech right now. Oh, wow. Let's hear it. (laughs) Okay. Let's do this. Do it. You can do it. 
Mom, Dad, you know I love you, but there's something I have to tell you about myself. When I asked if we could move here, I told you it was because I couldn't take the rumors. But really, I was just running away from my life, from who I am. Because the rumors, they were all true. I like girls. You've always taught me to be proud of who I am. That's not so easy for me because I haven't been able to accept who I am. Until now. And I want you to know that this is hard for me. Because I love you so much. And I never want to disappoint you. But I have to stop disappointing myself too. And I just... I hope you still love me. Oh. Only a little bit of tears in my <laughs> eyes as I was reading that. It It's such an emotional moment. Thank you, Danielle Alonzo. Thank you. Uh, just just thank you. <laughs> to, to everyone involved with, like, creating this storyline. It's, oh my gosh, yeah. What's your favorite quote, though? Okay, so mine's really simple. Okay. It's when Hillary, or Peyton, sorry. When Peyton says to Jake, <laughs> I love you. That's my favorite. And that's shocking, probably, coming from me. But I just loved her performance in that moment. I just loved it. You're a fake Lighten fan, Caitlin. You're a fake Lighten fan. I'm just like a Hillary (laughs) fan. That's really what it comes down to. That that was like my favorite because it just like, oh my God, it just like pulled up my heartstrings. I mean, like so much pulled up my heartstrings in this episode. Obviously, Anna's speech was pivotal and... Wow, it was just an emotional episode, and that is why it gets five out of five cheer interventions. <laughs> and I give it five out of five drives off into the sunset to be your authentic self at your boarding school. Yes. That's two fives out of fives in a row for me. <laughs> so I think I've only given one other episode in this season a five out of five, and I believe it was the formal. Oh, yeah. really? So... I gave a few fives out of fives, I think. Mostly I've done four four out of fours. Most of the episodes have been that. Four yeah. out of fours? You said four out oh, of fours. Oh, sorry. Four out of fives. Four out of fives. You know what I meant. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I'm, enjoy- I'm really enjoying this season. I can't believe we're getting to the end of it. Yeah, it's really hard to believe that we are now. Wow. This season's gone by so much quicker than I feel like season, season one, like, I, I enjoyed it, but, you know, I, I feel like there was, like, you know, we were really, like, moving through each episode pretty slowly. This one, we're like, it, it just seems so fast-paced, and I am really fucking loving it. There's just, like, endless things to talk about, you know, compared to season one. I love it. And we have great stuff to come! <laughs> Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AlwaysOTHpod. You can also email us at AlwaysOTHpod at gmail.com. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez, and you can find me on Twitter at RodriguezJeremy. And I'm Caitlin Illinich, and you can find me on Twitter at MissIReads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans new and old find us. You can also support us via Patreon, where for as low as $2 a month, you can gain access to bonus content, our private Discord server where you can chat with us and other listeners, and early episode releases. Visit patreon.com slash alwaysothpod for more information. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. 
Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll, we'll be, be seeing, seeing ya. ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. This is your last reminder to turn off the podcast if you do not want spoilers. So, uh, Caitlin, uh, you inserted a topic, like, literally right before we recorded that I was not prepared for whatsoever. (laughs) Neither was I. (laughs) Honestly. Where you asked, like, where could Anna have a fit in? And the reason why I'm introducing this topic is because I don't want to go first, and I want to hear from you first, and let's, you know what, let's workshop ideas together, because I really don't know. And this honestly was like a thought, like, I knew I wanted to talk about Anna and the spoilers, but I, it was just a spur-of-the-moment kind of (laughs) thought that I had. Um, I feel like Anna, so I haven't even had a chance to think about it, Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) But I think Anna could have easily fit in definitely the rest of the season, and I think there could have been a place for her in season three. I don't know, continuing on, I don't know if she would have long-term been a character. Yeah, like in in her season nine, yeah, who who knows? But I think she had, like, another, at least another season in her, you know, to tell the story. You know what thought that literally just uh, popped into my head? What if Rachel bullied Anna in, like, early season. This is a problematic trope that I'm, like, buying into, too, and everybody is probably going to call me out and be mad for saying this. What if Rachel, like, you know, in early season three, when she's evil and whatnot, and what if she bullied Anna? Maybe not necessarily for her sexuality or anything like that. Maybe just bullied her, which is, like, kind of mean. And, like, Anna had to, like, really grapple with, like, these, like this conflict with Rachel. And then what if come season four, because we never really had a consistent love interest for Rachel, apart from Uncle Cooper, which was a very short-lived thing. What if Rachel and Anna got together? Oh, snap. I would have been for that. <laughs> I wonder if Anna and Rachel would have naturally... I wonder if they would have worked, personality-wise. I don't know. They're... I feel like they would be able to like balance each other out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know, like, you know, the whole thing about, the whole thing where I said Rachel bullied her, I kind of, I, I kind of feel like uh, Rachel would, like, play off of Anna very well. Because look at how she played off with Mouth. True, true. You're right. Yeah, so, you know what, I'm going to take that back. Maybe Rachel didn't bully Anna. Maybe, like, the two of them, like, hit it off right away, but maybe Rachel was going through her own sexuality journey. <gasps> Listen to this, okay? <laughs> what if... Rather than at the end of season three, when when Brooke finds out that, like, oh, Rachel used to be fat and does this whole, like, campaign to, like, shame her and everything like that, that's terrible. That was terrible then. It's still terrible Mm -hmm. today. What if, instead of the fat shaming, what if it was the fact that Rachel was secretly queer and she just never wanted to admit it? Ooh. I like that. So, Rachel and Anna, I like this. Let's. (laughs) I don't want Brooke outing her, though. Oh, yeah, I don't want Brooke to be out in her either. Oh, God. But it could have been okay, a secret. Seriously? It could have been a secret in, in season three, and then she, like, revealed it. Rather than have the yeah, out and no aspects. Out like, maybe, like, maybe Brooke could have seen it, and she would have been like, oh. And then, like, you know, just kept it close to the vest and, like, maybe tried to support Rachel. And then maybe that would have been a good transition for Rachel and Brooke to be friends, too. True. And then you always have to wonder, like, Peyton and Anna. Like, what could they have done there? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously we know that. Like, they, mm-hmm. if this was being made today, they would have actually had the courage to make this happen. I'm just saying. I'm speculating here. And then also, it would have been, I mean, this would have been outing Anna, but like the time capsule in season three, like, I feel like that would have been mm. revealed. And what would have, would she heard have already come out to everyone? Maybe it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, I want to think it wouldn't have mattered at that point. I feel like she would have been, like, more out and proud, like, in Tree Hill High if she was a student. Yeah. I would have, yeah, liked to seen Anna, like you said, out and proud and dating, dating, like, a bunch of people. Not at the same time mm-hmm. or anything, but, like, you know, I... I mean, but, we could or have done, like, polyamorous representation. Um... <laughs> But I mean, it would just have been interesting. The point is, it would have been interesting to see her paired with different people. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm going to go even deeper to the whole Rachel and Anna thing, okay? And I'm going to, like, you know, project, like, even more, like, fan fiction into, like, the future of the universe. Because we know Rachel does not come back after season seven. Her storyline's kind of, like, you know, left to die, essentially. What if, after she and Zan get divorced, uh, Rachel and Anna, like, essentially seek each other out... And then they reintroduce themselves into the lives of Tree Hill, and we get to we get to see Rachel and Anna being together at the basketball game in the series finale. Oh my gosh, I love it! <laughs> I love Rachel and Anna. Never thought about this, but I am here for it. But I like Darby too. A Darby Rachel Anna love <laughs> and who will she pick? Oh my gosh, I like Darby, and, and honestly, I feel like you know, in, in the actual world of the show, I would like to think that Darby and Anna ended up together even if we don't necessarily see it on screen i do like and we didn't touch on this in the the actual episode i like that they didn't frame it as like they had to get back together in this episode yeah it's up in the air yeah it was more so like darby was guiding anna she was being a friend through this difficult time yeah darby kisses her on the cheek so that wasn't like the focus like the relate their relationship or whatever it was more than that yeah yeah, it could you could read into it as like they could you know, they they ended up back together. Or you could read it as like, you know what, they became friends and they ended up dating other people. I feel like whatever yeah. you wanted to happen, happens. I chose to believe that they ended up together. <laughs> yeah, I don't know I don't know what I thought. Are there any guys that we would pair Anna with in this show? Mm. I'm just trying to flip through all the characters in my brain. <laughs> yeah. I feel like her mouth would have been a cute couple. Really? Yeah. Okay. I could see it. Mm-hmm. Her and Mouth, or, uh, what about her and Chase? Like, they could even, like, further on in the show. I was thinking about Chase, actually. Yeah. One of the more boring characters of the show that will... <laughs> I know you've said that before. I like Chase. I just think he's just sort of, he's just sort of there. <laughs> like, I don't think there's anything... I like Stephen Coletti. There's nothing wrong with Stephen Coletti. I just feel like, the, like, what they do with Chase's character, like, I, I can't, like, think back on the show and think, like, wow, like, Chase does so much on this show. There's so many great storylines with him. What are you talking about? He's the bar manager. <laughs> <laughs> I think you improved my point, honestly. <laughs> uh, well, that was interesting. But, There's many directions yeah. this could go in. <laughs> So, uh, cool. Um, one that, that this is the point that I put on here. Um, I want to compare the fact that Nikki made a parenting mistake in this season, but then we also see Julian make a pretty big parenting mistake in season nine when he leaves, uh, one of, uh, one of his kids 
in the backseat of the car. He fucked up too. They both, both Nikki and Julian fucked up here. But like, why is Julian like, is treated as like, oh no, like it's so sad that he messed up. Like we got to redeem him. And then Nikki is like, she's written off like so quickly. Wow. I didn't even see that on here. It's not on my list. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, there we I... go. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I completely forgot about that, but you're right. And I remember Julian, it was because he was so stressed out with everything else yeah. that he left the kids in the car in the heat by accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way the Nikki storyline is described, it's like she was at a bar doing fun things and didn't care about her daughter and left her in the car. So it wasn't yeah. framed as an accident, but yeah. it is interesting to compare the two. Yeah. And uh, and honestly, too, the whole thing that happened with Nikki, like, we're only hearing that through Jake's eyes. And, like, it just makes you wonder, like, what what actually did happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> we, uh, we have no idea. But, yeah. I really, the way uh, the way, the way uh, Julia's mistake is framed, though, I, I, I remember, like, how that episode was shot. Um, you'll see uh, Julian, like, Julian's taking the baby from Brooke. And then, like, you know, the, you, you know that he's supposed to drop the kid off at daycare. And it's like, okay, cool. And then, you know, he so he takes the baby, uh, puts the baby in the car seat, and then, like, it cuts away, and then all of a sudden you see, like, you know, Julian go into a meeting. Mm-hmm. And, and they never, and they just completely, like, gloss over, like, the whole daycare thing. So, like, even you as the viewer, like, completely forgets yep. that he was supposed to drop off, like, the baby. And then you find out at the end of the episode, he gets a call from Brooke, and Brooke was like, Hey, hey Julian, uh, Dave. I'm, I'm assuming the kid was Davis. I don't remember which one it was. Um, like Davis was never uh, dropped off at daycare, according to the teacher. And Julian was like, "What? Oh shit!" And then you see this car get broken into because some good Samaritans decided to rescue the child. Yeah, I remember all that. Wow, it was just really well framed. I think it was because you, as the audience, like you said, you just assumed that he had already dropped off the baby and then yeah now he's at work so mm-hmm. i know like we we get versus seeing what happened to, and in julian's in the span of julian's day versus like nikki is being described through jake's eyes and i think you already said that so mm-hmm. it's two totally different situations but i yeah they're definitely handled differently but but like i said like nikki's is meant to be the least the way it's described, it's meant to be like she didn't do this. She did this on purpose. Like she went into the bar and was having a good old time and didn't care about the kid. Versus, you know, Julian yeah. like obviously loves his children and wouldn't want that to happen. It just seems like there's like a little bit of misogyny mm-hmm. here. How they like portray a woman's parenting mistakes versus a man's parenting yeah. mistake. It's really ugly so that just sparked a discussion point for me yeah and i wanted to make that's note a good of that. comparison i don't even think of that and the last one uh you made note of that so this is the last episode that we see taylor until season seven yep season seven episode 13 to be exact <laughs> and i feel like i have feelings about this that i never really had before and i'm like i want more taylor i want to see more of her character and like so this episode we get Taylor and Nathan, but we don't get anything with Haley. And the four episodes that Taylor is in 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 season two, most of those scenes were with Nathan. Mm-hmm. And I know I mentioned this before that I found that that was really interesting that he was being paired with Taylor more so than Taylor's sister Haley. And like 
the last that we see of her for many seasons. <laughs> I mean, from season yep. two to season seven. Wow, it's five five years or five seasons because years we can't we yeah, can't really say seasons, years. It's not, it's five, not five years. years yeah. <laughs> um, for us in real time, it is, but not in Tree Hill time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's a long time to not see a character. Right. The final scene with her and Nathan, I really was left wanting more, and I felt sad that we weren't going to see her for such a long time. Mm-hmm. I remember when she came back in season seven, I was so excited. Like, even, like, back then. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they're bringing her back, yeah! Yeah, it was really <laughs> exciting. And it was cool because we were able to see the three sisters together. Mm-hmm. But she she comes back in season seven now, and she's immediately the villain. I know. Because, you know, she's dating a... Quinn's ex. And then bringing him over to dinner and being, like, all, like, in their face and everything. Yep. Like, it just seems like they completely cheated Taylor. Like, all the character progression she had, like, throughout season two, and then they bring her back in season seven, and it's like, oh, like, let's say screw all that. She's just the same, basically. Yeah. Which, I mean, it kind of it kind of tracks if you think about, like, at the end of the episode, when, the end of this episode, when she is looking at Nathan and she's like, oh, no, I can't change. When, like, you know, when he says, like, um, I won't dance on bars if you won't. And she has that sad look on her face. So it just makes you think, like, okay, throughout the course of all these years, she was just living a life of sadness. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it makes it makes me sad. But then the story doesn't even continue in that direction now, because in season seven, the more of the focus is, like, her relationship with her sisters, which is great, that is fine, but it doesn't really, like, resolve these plot threads, I feel like, we're in season two. And the whole focus is like, oh, she just wasn't a good sister to Quinn and Haley, and she just wanted to change. But all these, uh, you know what, I, already, I, I just keep changing my mind. We were talking earlier about, uh, Taylor having this whole uh, journey where she doesn't have a home, necessarily. Maybe, like, that is a good resolution for her character at the end of season seven. That she finally feels at home with her sisters? Yeah. Yeah. Even though she's not physically with them, she still, like, has, like, these people to turn to. And granted, like, after Lydia dies, we don't see Taylor ever again in the series, but I feel like there could be that implication that, like, maybe Taylor still keeps up with her siblings Mm -hmm. and everything like that. And she's still going off and dancing on bar <laughs> tables and everything. You know, living her authentic life. I know. Well, yeah, she does get a happy ending in the end because she... There's always been tension with Haley and, and Taylor. Like, they've never really had a good relationship. And then we have all these years where the, we don't see them at all. So ha- who knows what's going on? And then finally we see them again and there's tension again. But mm-hmm. they do patch things up. So it yeah. it does resolve things. I think. Yeah. We're going to have to put a pin in this, like, in this conversation and, like, remember what we thought about her in this episode, and then when we get to season seven, we yeah. can be like, okay, like, is this a good continuation of the thread? Because I feel like there's some there's some messy bits, and there's yeah. some bits where I'm like, okay, this yeah, works. I agree. But anyway, we have another episode to record, and we're going to be recording it tomorrow morning, right? And then when you wake up, you'll be like, wow, I'm wide awake, it's morning. <laughs> Oh, gosh. <laughs> we're going to ignore the fact we're not actually going to record, like, tomorrow morning, by the way. Yeah, that's news to me. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, Jeremy, we're not getting up tomorrow morning. What are you talking about? I have work. 
Anyway, that is the next episode of season two. It'll be the 19th episode, and we get to hear me be horny over hot Uncle Cooper. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Taken from our OTH DVD box sets. Start your engines. Nathan's Uncle Cooper takes Nathan and Lucas out of town for some lessons in professional race car driving. But the fun turns tragic when Nathan crashes, maybe on purpose. We'll be seeing ya. <laughs> we'll be seeing ya. We'll be seeing ya. Okay, like we're we'll work on this. Uh-huh. <laughs>